0: Amen, amen, huh? Amen. Well, we're excited to be here, and I'm thankful for the connection between Brother Gunther and uh, Pastor and Brother Justin for helping put all this together, and um, we're thankful so much for being able to be here. The Lord has really blessed us. We thank you for your hospitality and um, the gift back and everything that you've done for us. Uh, we're just very honored to be here. Um, it is a very humbling experience to be able to go from church to church and share the ministry about the deaf. The biggest struggle for deaf missionaries is that you have to educate the church about the deaf culture first before you're able to explain about any culture in another country. So basically, you're working with two cultures, and you have to try to cram all that um, into a setting uh, to be able to understand. Now, when we first started deputation, my pastor, who uh, was from Missouri, uh, he graduated from Oklahoma Baptist Bible College, and I, I did everything. I had the Brazil presentation, and I put it out there, and he watched it, and then he just said, you know... In 50 years of my life, I've only met two deaf people. And I don't know anything about the deaf. And he said, what I want you to do is is I need you to change your presentation to be able to do it like two and a half minutes on deaf culture, two and a half minutes on Brazilian culture. And so we had to work with that to be able to explain to the people about the deaf. The deaf people are the fourth largest un group in the world. And all of that is because of communication. And communication is very, very important for the deaf because there's always a a lot of misunderstanding within the deaf community. And we, that are deaf, we want to have the real facts. We want to make sure we understand because then if we misunderstand, then we, we look foolish And then people think, oh, well, you're not deaf, but you're deaf and dumb. And then you're like, wait a minute, I'm not dumb. I just didn't understand what was going on. And so that is a very, very hard culture um, to be able to present that and get people to understand what it's like to really be deaf. Myself, I do not understand that 100%. My wife knows more than I do, um, but I do have some hearing, and so... For me to understand completely deaf is very hard for me as well. But the Lord had called me to reach the deaf in the country of Brazil. I originally had not planned to work with the deaf. Um, I just wanted to be an evangelist. I wanted to go out. I wanted to be like Billy Graham and go out and preach revival meetings and things like that. But the Lord began to change my heart. And how that came about is that we had a missionary from Uganda come to my church, my parents' church, in Missouri. That time I just got saved, and I was not really involved with deaf culture and nothing. I knew a little bit of sign language, but that was about it. So this man from Uganda, Africa, came to our church, presented his ministry, and he's talking about establishing radio ministry in Uganda that can go out 100 miles. And I'm thinking, wow, that's that's very nice. But as I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this man present his ministry, the Lord grabbed the hold of me and began to kind of trail my mind off from that ministry in Uganda and began to think, Michael, I want you to think about that. So I'm going to teach the people about Uganda, but I'm going to teach you something. And what he began to do was he took a hold of me and he began in that short amount of time of presentation, he began to say, 100 that's a hundred mile that's a long way. But imagine deaf people walking under those radio waves that are going out a hundred miles across these villages in Africa, and all these deaf people are walking to the store, they're walking to the bus station, they're walking to the community, they're walking all over, and they don't hear one thing. And the Lord said, what are you going to do about it? And I thought, Huh. So you're asking me to go and reach the death. And the Lord said, "Yeah, Isn't that what Matthew 28, 19, 20 teaches? I go you into all the world, right? And I began to say, okay. So I, I left. I had to move out of my comfort zone. I moved from Missouri down to Georgia, and I went to Bible college. This was the most mentally, physically, emotionally challenged experience that I've ever experienced in all my life. Brazil would be the second. But God began to use me to reach the depth. I'm not the perfect tool in the toolbox. But if, if somebody needs help, I will help. If somebody needs somebody to be dependable, I would be the one to be dependable. Amen. And I told the Lord, I said, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Now, for two years, I prayed about going to the Middle East. Who wants to go to the Middle East? Nobody. Yeah. So I prayed for the Lord for two years. I said, Lord, take me to the Middle East. I began to study for two years. Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Turkey, Syria, Israel, I mean, Saudi Arabia. I was studying all those. I was finding out all the deaf culture, deaf community, three million deaf people in Iran. I was studying Armenia, Georgia, all those places and other countries where the gospel was in the beginning, but where are they now? Imagine deaf people in the Middle East right now that do not have an opportunity to hear the gospel because third world countries look down on the deaf. And so for two years, the Lord didn't open the door and He took me off to go to Brazil. And I said, Lord, okay, I'll go to Brazil. But my heart is like Paul. Paul's heart was for Rome. Paul wanted to go to Rome. Paul wanted to reach the Jews, but God called him to reach the Gentiles. My heart is for the Arabic people, the Muslim people. But God has called me right now in this moment to go to Brazil. And so I'm going to Brazil. But my heart will always be for the Arabic people. And I said, Lord, if there's ever a chance that you would open the door for me, I want to go. And so tonight, brother, how long do I have? I'm sorry. How long do I have? As long as you need. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. So, I want to talk tonight about investing. And some of you probably think, well, what would that have to do with scripture? And so, we're going to talk about the word investing, and that's becoming very popular now, especially with a lot of, a lot of young people getting involved in businesses and stuff like that. But that's all physical. That's all stuff that Solomon wrote, that's all what we call, you know, vanity under the sun. You know, nothing new under the sun. But I want to talk to you tonight about investment in others. The Lord has laid upon my heart, and these were some challenges that I had to go through myself. And I began to study in the scriptures and look through it and look through it. And I prayed and I said, Lord, help me not to be like them, but I want to be like them, you know. And so tonight I want to talk to you about investing in others. We have a great heritage here in America. We have one of the best resources in all over the world, right here in America. But the thing is is that resources are useless unless we don't have people to use them. You know that? Resources, gospel track, radio ministry, Facebook live, Zoom meetings, whatever, all of that is presented on the table as tools and resources to you. But if we don't have people, they're not going to be you. Because they can't go by themselves. And so here, I want to show you something. Even here in the Word of God, I want you to go to the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, this was a very interesting letter, and this is one of the prison epistles that Paul had wrote and we're going to go to chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse, and we're going to read in verse 23 down to verse 29. And I want you to get, this is what I want you to grab a hold of, is we're going to be talking about different types of ministry. So I'm going to go down here and I'm going to go through five points, or four points, and to help us to understand... And where we are now, and where do, we, where do we see ourselves, the next generation going out? Now, I know we're told not to worry about the future. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Um, you know, let's just stay busy and do what we need to do. But the thing is, what are we getting busy about? That's, that's kind of the concern that I, that I have as a missionary. I'm, I'm going to another country, but I'm also from here in America. But I want to be able to... Everybody, every missionary wants to see... Another country like America, meaning that they have all the resources that they need to present the gospel. And it's interesting because I was just talking with a man the other day. who was a missionary to Ukraine before Ukraine um, had to change the rules and Russia took over. He had to come back, but just yesterday he came to the deaf event and we were talking. And he began. we were talking about how Missionary back in the 1900s, they Instead of taking suitcases and bales and cargo ships and containers and going to another country, they would literally make a coffin. They would make themselves a wooden coffin and they would pack all of their belongings in this wooden coffin and they would bring it across the sea and they were prepared to die over there. They were, they were prepared to stay. And what's interesting is that they say that when they went over there, there was no light. But when they left, there was no darkness. Amen. Amen. And I, you know, I long for those days where we used to have those missionaries. We had people in churches and congregations all across America that people, even in Europe, we had people that were surrendering the call to go. No matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, they were going to go because they wanted the gospel across Amen. the land, across the sea. And we've seen these songs, send the light, send the light, from shore to shore. But I, I think sometimes we, be, we can become so used to singing missionary songs that we don't actually do the mission work, the real meaning of the song. I think our flame is is kind of going down. And so in Colossians, this is what I want you to get from Colossians. Paul is writing this letter from prison. Okay, so he sends this letter to the churches in Colossians. The amazing thing is is that Paul never went there. Paul never, he didn't establish the church. Now some say that there's this man by the name of Epaphras, Epaphroditus, that was saved probably from the time of Ephesus, when Paul was in Ephesus. He was the one that came out of Ephesus and went out and started these churches. What I want you to know is is that, who is Epaphroditus? He's the faithful servant of the Lord, that's all we know. He's not a well-known missionary like the Apostle Paul. But what's my point here? God used him to go out and others to start churches in this particular area of Greece. And I'm going to read here in verse 23. It says, If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, verse 24, who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Verse 26, even the mystery which hath which been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints. Verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that ye may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Verse 29. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. The question I have tonight is, is what are you investing in? I know we can look at the times today here in America, and I know there's a lot of things going on that we probably don't agree with. Maybe some things you may agree with, or maybe not. And of course, we began to think about what's going to happen in the future, and then we began to think, well, where does our investment need to go? What do we need to do? What do we need to prepare for and so we try to make an investment, but where? But I believe, according to God, He would like for us to be making investments spiritually, not so much physically. And that's what Paul, that's what Jesus Christ did so much when He came to this earth and when He uh, began to do His ministry. He left us with a spiritual investment, and those were the twelve apostles. Jesus Christ personally trained these men, and He left. Now, what, is, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be picking up the examples of Jesus Christ. We ought to be making investment in people. So, the question tonight is Are you investing in others? Let's pray. Right. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for tonight. I ask that you bless this message. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Be with me as a voice, be with the interpreter as she interprets. Pray that, Lord, everybody is able to understand the message. And, Father, help us to be. Focusing on what are we investing in. Lord, you have invested your life into us. Jesus Christ has invested his life into the 12 apostles. Paul has invested his life in those that he ministered to. Even Moses invested his life in Joshua. Elijah invested his life into Elisha. And Lord, we can go on and on and on. But what about in this time and day, in this century, in this generation, are we investing in others? And I ask that you bless tonight. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to kind of look at this, the example of Paul. In verse 23, it says, I, Paul, am made a minister." right here at the end of it. Okay, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now a minister is like a slave who is at the bottom of the rowboat under total submission. So if you remember back in the days when we used to have those slaves that were brought on the ship to other countries, they were in the bottom, they were the one doing all the rowing, all the heavy work, They had to do it until exhaustion. They had to do it until they starved, until they sweat, until their hands had calloused and were bleeding. Some even died doing that, just going from one land to another land. That's the ideal of a minister. You labor, you labor, and you labor, and you labor like a slave. There is no reward, there's no pat on the back, there's no, hey, good job, well done. There is nothing. You began to work because this is what God had called you to do. Now, how did Paul become a minister? Well, according to Acts chapter 26, verse 16, it says, For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in Uh, in which I will appear unto thee. Now this was Paul's defense before Agrippa. This was his testimony. He was made a minister by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ set him apart. Jesus Christ is calling people to go to the mission field. Whether it be here in West Virginia, whether it be outside of West Virginia, in the United States, in other countries, wherever it is, God is still calling people. So what holds us back from accepting that call? Well, how is your faith in Jesus Christ? How is your obedience to Jesus Christ? Are you submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ where you are right now? Do you have a heart that says, Lord, send me wherever, I will, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Are you humbled? Are you broken? Are you surrendered? God wants a person... That can stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing, but you called me to go, I am going to go. You know, through the experience that I have right now of learning a second language of Portuguese, my heart has become so heavy because... It's not only in the country of Brazil, and Brazil is the only country in South America that speaks Portuguese, and we have another country north of us in French Guyana, and Guyana, that speaks some English, but also speaks French as well. Every other country outside of Brazil speaks Spanish. Now, I, as a missionary in Brazil, can look at those and say, oh, well... That's not my problem because God didn't call me to Chile, Venezuela, uh, Paraguay, Uruguay, um, Bolivia, Venezuela, French, Guyana, Guyana. God didn't call me there. So I'm just going to focus on Brazil. But you know what? I have a hard time doing that. (laughs) I have a hard time looking at other Spanish-speaking countries, even in Brazil, Portuguese-speaking countries, but in other countries, realizing that God had called me to reach the deaf, but where are the deaf neighbors in other countries? Where are they? They're not anywhere to be found. And so I began to go back to when the Lord had called me from that Beacon Baptist church in a small town of 6,000 people when that man came from Uganda and said... What are you going to do about it? And so you know what I have to do? I have to learn Spanish. I have to make videos of myself presenting the gospel in Spanish because who else is going to do it? Who else is going to present the gospel in Portuguese? Who else is going to present the gospel in French? Now, I have prayed to the Lord if the Lord will allow me to live long enough, now I'm 39 years old, but if the Lord will allow me to live long enough, the goal that I have in this lifetime before I die, and I pray that this happens, but I want to be able, you know, we're talking about the Romance language, because Portuguese is in the Romance language, so there's five of the Romance language, okay? So there's Portuguese, there's French, there's Spanish, there's Italian, there's Romanian. Now, my goal before I die and I pray, and if it doesn't happen, this is my job to invest in others so that they can carry on the work. But my goal is to present the gospel in sign language, in that particular language, before I die. Amen. That's a big goal, right? <laughs> it's a big goal. But you have to start somewhere. I don't know anybody who's in Italy right now. Now, we've had a missionary go to France, or France, but I don't see any work going on from there. We used to have a lady that was working in Romania, but she got married and moved to Italy. So she's doing some. But I'm talking about a preacher. I need a preacher that goes in there that's going to start a church that's going can be able to present the gospel in those particular countries, but I have to start with somebody. Amen. Yes. Good. Amen. So I, Paul, Michael, it made a minister. I want to be that minister that presents that gospel in those particular languages that reaches out. Now, the other goal that we have when we get back to Brazil, uh, I will be working alongside another missionary, but we're in two separate states. But the goal for Brazil when we go back is we're working on a Bible institute for the deaf in the country of Brazil. Because right now, they don't have anything for the deaf. And some of the deaf people are coming and say, I want to learn. I want to learn more. I want to, I want to become a pastor and become a missionary. What do I do? So we have to make... We have to create a Bible institute for the deaf. We have this ministry. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, we have this ministry because of mercy. We don't deserve it. Amen. But by the mercies of God... We have this ministry that all of us are involved in. This is what it's like to invest. Give someone something value to hold and tell them to keep it for you and you walk away. Because you're trusting them. That is the same idea with ministry. God entrusted us with his ministry. It's not my ministry and it's not your ministry. So a lot of times, so, we get so bent out of shape. and Yes, I understand. We've got to be careful. We don't, want, we don't want somebody taking a ministry and just changing it and become reformed theology or changing some stuff. And I understand. We've got to be careful who we give it to. We've got to be careful who comes in and who's made the ministry. I understand that. But I believe sometimes we go a little bit too much with some mistakes that we begin to take the ministry back rather than encouraging them to say, hey, look, let me, let me teach you. According to Scripture, what, is the, what does the Scripture say? We, we have to be able to create a dialogue between who we are and who we're investing in. They're not going to become a mini-me. I don't want them to become a mini-me. Because then they become more like a robot, and then they, right. they don't do what God has called them to do. Amen. God made them who they are, and That's they right. need to do what God called them to do. But the thing is, it's coming alongside of them and say, hey, brother, or hey, sister, let me show you something. Okay? It's okay to make a mistake, but let's just, let me show you, so that way you can do it right. And you can stay right. Isn't that what we're told to do according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16? Isn't that what we're supposed to be giving doctrine, yes, sir. correction, Amen. reproof, yeah. instruction in righteousness? Isn't that what we're called to do? Amen. I believe a lot of times we have to humble ourselves... And say, say, Lord, again, this is your ministry. It's not my ministry. You placed this brother or sister under my wing who I'm supposed to be mentoring. I want to invest in this person because this person keeps coming to me and really wants to learn. But I cannot do anything foolish or otherwise this person will turn away from me. And I will begin to have to work much more harder and I will have to go through a humbling experience as well. But Paul went through some hard times. According to verse 24, it says, Who now rejoices in my suffering for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now Paul went through some hard times, but he still did not lose his joy for the ministry. That's how he, even when he wrote the epistles of the Philippians, was all about joy. He was in prison. He was writing this epistle. He mentioned the word joy. Think on these things. We can't become too anxious, too worried of what's going to happen. What we need to do is we need to make an investment. Do you think if Jesus Christ looked at Peter, if we would have looked at Peter, don't you think we would have immediately turned away and just said, you know what, forget about this guy. This guy's as stubborn as rock. That's why they call him the rock. Isn't it? He's stubborn. Do you think in today's and our time that we would have just gave up on him? Now, I want you to take that thought and go to the young people that we so much complain about, okay? I have to be honest. We complain about young people. We complain about where the young people are. We complain about young people don't want to listen. We complain about they don't want to be in the church. But let me ask you a question. How is your conversation with a young person? Amen. That's good. Amen. Do you listen? Amen. That's good. You, are not, you would be very surprised that if you took an hour, even more than 30 minutes to an hour, and you sat down and you asked the young person, tell me about yourself. What do you struggle? What motivates you? And a young person will begin to look at you and say, oh wow, this person's listening to me. I want to talk to him some more. And I guarantee you, you will begin to see that person come up to you more in church than you will ever realize. Because you took some time to listen to them. But the thing is, is we're too busy giving instructions, but we're we're not listening. We don't care about their idea. We don't care about their feedback. We don't care what they think. You know, we have this mentality to do it my way or the highway. You know, we've heard that a, long, a lot of times before. But we, we have to listen. We have to begin to listen. If we're going to invest in people, we need to begin to listen to them. Jeremiah, the, weep, the weeping prophet, nobody wanted to listen to him. According to Jeremiah 15, 16, he said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word, thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. So our spirit should be rejoicing. Now here's one of the things that I've learned, especially being on a mission field, and even a little bit before, is I heard this word called burnout. Okay? Now, a lot of people, when they get on the mission field, there are a lot of people that do get burned out because they're so, they're so mentally broken, they're physically broken, they're spiritually broken. They're just completely, I mean, just broken because they're living in another country in another language and it's just like nobody's there to help. You can't call up mom and dad and say, hey, mom, and dad, can you come watch the kids? I want to take my wife out on a date. You can't do that. You're like, what are we going to do, honey? We're here for the next four years, and are we ever going to go on a date? I don't know. (laughs) That's the thought on the mission field. You can't just drop your kids off and go out somewhere, whatever you want to do. you got to make friends with people in another country that you don't really trust yet, but you got to begin to invest your life into them so that they can know who you are and you can know who they are, and you can begin to trust them and say, okay, let me trust you with this ministry. Let me trust you with my kids. Let me trust you... Uh, even coming into my house or whatever. But to begin to continue to go through the affliction, you have to have joy. Amen. You have to be what, we, what I call the garden. And that's where your prayer time is. It's in the garden with the Lord. The only reason they are burned out is because they think they deserve something. Burnout produces pride, and humility produces joy. Now, when Paul was talking about it here in verse 24, he said, For my body's sake, which means the suffering for the people. And it says, Fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. It means, Why am I I'm here in prison? They hate me. Because they hated him, Jesus, and he's not here on the third, so they're gonna hate you. And they didn't like Paul. Now, if you remember when the preacher was preaching this morning, he was talking about the temple of Diana and talking about an episode. What happened? They tried to kill Paul. They tried to kill him because he was there preaching. They did not agree with that. Because they're in there preaching the gospel who they believe. Their idol was more important than Paul's gospel. And when you go into another country, you are faced with spiritual warfare. Because you're going into a country that has been fully developed spiritually idolatry. And for you to take the gospel in there, you're going to be afflicted. We take the blow for him... Because he, Jesus, took the blow for us. The strike, the hit, the scourging. Jesus Christ took that for us, so we take it for him. If every time Christ came back, they would kill him. But until he does come back for the believers, they're going to kill us. Or murder us, or abuse us, or imprison us. But what is it all for? The church. It's not for me. I don't want the reward. I already got the reward. I got saved. (laughs) That's the reward that I got. But why do we do this for the church? To bring people into the church, evangelism. Edification of the church so the body can be built up to maturity. We're talking about the people. In verse 25, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, to preach. Paul always went back to the same place. The same place. That's why I try to put on my prayer card when we have the four E's. Where we're talking about evangelizing, enlightening, edifying, equipping. I believe that as we establish churches in places where we go, we still need to make those rounds to go back to edify them, to equip them. Because they're going through spiritual warfare. We need to be there. We need to show the support for them so that they can continue going on. Why? Because you made an investment. Spiritually. It's the same idea with business. You keep checking the stock market. You keep checking the business. You keep seeing where the money's going. You keep watching if it's going up, if it's going down. You're continuing watching it. Because you made an investment and you want to make sure that what you invested in... Get it work. We need to do that spiritually. Now, I have a man. When I came here to the United States back in September, in my church, I took a guy and I began to disciple him from my home church in Ringo, Georgia. Now, I have the husband, my wife has the wife, okay? When we get together, when we're in Georgia, we get the husband and wife together and we, we disciple. okay. And then when we leave, we try to disciple through Skype or video phone or whatever way. But we try to keep up. But here's the thing, if you don't keep up, what's going to happen? They're going to fall by the wayside. It's is it a challenge? Oh, yeah. I got two daughters, five and five. They're like twins. They're four months apart. I understand. And then you got to travel on top of that. And then, of course, you have a daughter is one that's motion sickness. So you're only limited to five to six hour driving time a day if you ever make it to that. And you are and you go from church to church to church to church to church. Okay, And you have a schedule, too, that you have to follow and keep up, too. But I, we have to keep our focus on that investment, which is that couple that's right there in Ringo, Georgia. And here's the blessing part of it. When we began to disciple him, I disciple him, she discipled her. When I began to disciple him, okay, since September... This is all to the glory of God. When I began to disciple him, now I knew he was from Alabama because he's a student at our Bible college. But when I began to disciple him, of course, you know, he went into college, he was single, and then he got married, and then all of a sudden he had to put college on hold. He had to take care of his family. He had a kid, and he just began to put college on hold, but he always wanted to get back to the college. But what happened? He says, Michael... I believe the Lord calling me to go back to Mobile, Alabama to become a pastor. And I said, hey, that's great. Because I don't know anybody in Alabama that's a preacher for the doubt, How do we do this? We preach, we proclaim. This is the main focus, and I'll be done here. In verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. It's not to draw a crowd. The more challenging is to present every man mature in Christ. That's the challenge. Jesus Christ fed the multitude, but not one person out of that multitude came to him. If you begin to read in John 6 66, it says they just turned around and they left. The disciples. It was easy to draw the crowd, but it's harder to take one man, one woman, and present that person, get that person saved, get that person discipled, and present that person to the Lord complete, mature in Christ. That's what we lack. That's what we lack. Think about this folk. If we had, if we had kept continue with seeing souls day, we used to have big revival meetings when we have those revival meetings, if we would have stayed strong on our discipleship, I believe we would have more of a stronger impact on the world. But the thing that I believe what we're doing is is that we're following the trend. Because we're not getting people, we're following the trend, and we're trying to come up with new ways and new plans to get people to come in. If we stick to the original plan and remember that we're not going to draw a crowd, Christ had 12 men. He took along three men out of those 12, and he began to personally invest his life in those three men, Peter, James, and John. And get this, he took those men into the garden. What did he do in the garden? He went to the garden to pray. Have you ever taken a disciple into your garden where you pray? But well, wait a minute. The Bible verse says you have to go in your closet alone. But think about this. What's in the context? He's talking to the Pharisees. In that particular context, he's talking about don't make it so open and proclaim. Lord, I'm praying and get all these eyes at attention. That's in the context what he's talking about. He's not particularly saying you don't take somebody in the closet with you. What he's talking about in that particular context is don't make it so big and broad and get the attention of your prayer life. Christ took those three men into the garden with him. They fell asleep, but Christ didn't give up on them. But he still invested his life into those three men. And what happened to those three men? They went on to become great for God. We don't know about so much about the other nine unless you read history. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Paul said, My little children of whom I travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. Travail and birth again. That's labor. That's birth pain. that painful stuff that's disappointing that challenging. Paul is to be a model for us to follow. Let me leave it with this right here. You take care of the depth of your ministry. You be faithful where God places you. And he, God, will take care of the breadth of your ministry. Are you complete in Christ? Do you have somebody right now that said, you know what, somebody has been coming to me and asking me to teach them, to mentor them, to disciple them. They've been here for some time now. Have I personally taken some time out to invest my life into them? Have I sat down with them? Have I taught them? Have I trained her? Have I began to make sure that she or he is complete in Christ, that I want to make sure that their foundation is rooted in Christ? Do you know that Almost 90% of high school students, when they graduate high school, and the moment that they go off to college, they're gone. Why is that? Because we make assumption that the people that we're in the church with, we see them every Wednesday, every Sunday, every Awana, every VBS, whatever ministry that you have in your church, we assume that they are grounded in their faith. But ask them some questions. If they have a wrong answer, correct them, but don't reprove them. Correct them. Okay? Amen. Begin to reprove them. Help them to know what is right, what is wrong. Help them to make it right, but then again, help them to stay right. Amen. That's what we are talked about with the Scripture by the inspiration of God. Amen. Are you complete in Christ? And are you investing in others? I want you to pray. I challenge you to pray. Lord, give me one person, whether it's going to be a lady or if it's going to be a man. Give me somebody that I can invest in my life with, because I may not have much time here on earth, but at least I can make an investment in somebody just like the Apostle Paul didn't realize, I'm sure, that he was up there in Ephesus And Epaphroditus got a hold of something and began to go out and start churches in Greece. That was because Paul was made himself a minister, but he invested in people. Let's pray. Father Lord, we thank you so much. I pray that, Lord, you take this word. Again, your word never comes back void, in vain, empty, never. I pray, Father Lord, that you give us a challenge tonight. Lord, help us to think, how old is our church? Help us to think, how long have I been saved? Help us to think, in what ministry am I in in my local church? Help me to think, am I investing in my own children, in my wife, in my family? Am I investing in the people that you've put under me to care for? It's your ministry, but you've entrusted us with that ministry. Father, I ask that you help us to understand that we can look at all the world and understand that problems are always going to be problems. The world is never going to improve. But Lord, how can we make sure that the next generation at least, Lord, at least gets the gospel. But that's all going to depend on us. If we don't follow your plan, Lord, according to what you did with the 12 apostles, the next generation will never hear the gospel. But Lord, if we take time now to help to understand that our world is not getting better, But Lord, at least some time before you come back that I may have time now that I can invest in somebody now because, Lord, they're going to go places where I don't go. I ask that you bless tonight. Thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've done for us and the plan that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.